start this recording. Hey everyone, my name is Kyle Worley and I get the privilege of serving as a pastor at Mosaic Church. Um, I'm sure that I have met many of you. I, I recognize some familiar names on here. There's some other names that I'm not familiar with. And so I'm glad that you're here. Um, I am here with Travis Hebert. Travis is going to be leading this time. The hope of Kindling was that this would be an opportunity for people across life stages, singles, couples, uh, parents, to be able to spend a little bit of focus time before the fall semester, really giving some consideration into how they can invest in their lives as a single man or single woman, as a couple, or as parents in the lives of their children. Uh, and so that's what we wanted to do. And so we wanted to invite some of the best voices we could to speak on these issues. And when we were thinking about who could address, Travis is actually doing double duty. He's, I think, the only speaker other than Aspen House who's doing two different sessions. So he's speaking to couples this morning at 9 a.m. And then he's speaking to single men at 11 a.m. today. And so you can pray for Travis. He's got to do this twice. Uh, but we wanted, to, we wanted to have Travis. Travis actually offices in the same office complex as we do. But I've known Travis for years. He was born and raised in Southeast Texas. That's where he's at right now, visiting family. Um, he's a master's level licensed professional counselor serving those in and around the Dallas area. Uh, in 2008, Travis graduated from Lamar University. I'm looking at his bio over here, so I don't get it wrong. <laughs> Lamar wow, University. Well done. I know, I know. You're like, wow, this guy, he's got my resume. Um, I do, but it's just typed up. Uh, Travis graduated from Lamar University, go Cardinals, uh, with a bachelor's degree in business marketing. Uh, shortly after finishing Lamar, he enrolled at Dallas Theological Seminary, where he received a master's degree in Christian education. He Spent several years on staff with Young Life, serving families in Richardson. And during that time is when he realized he really wanted to focus on a career in counseling. So he returned to DTS. He got his master's in counseling in 2013 and has been practicing since then. Um, Travis and I actually go way back. We played on the same soccer team in high school. Uh, we were involved in the same Young Life club in high school. Um, and then in a turn of events, the Lord has brought us back together here at Mosaic Church, and I could not be more delighted about that. And so Travis is a friend. He's a partner in ministry. He's a trusted counselor whom we refer people to. Uh, and if you are looking for somebody in the Richardson or North Dallas area where you know someone is, uh, he runs, I think, a very faithful counseling practice here in Richardson. So he's close by, very close by, in fact. And so we're tremendously grateful to have him on the call. I'm going to give him the time. He'll talk to us for 20 to 30 minutes, and then we'll do some Q&A at the end. If you've got questions, you can message me through the chat feature. Um, if you select Mosaic, or uh, if you go down here and select me, under Mosaic Church. My, my little address on here is Mosaic Church. I'm the host. If you message me directly, it won't go to everybody on the call. It'll just go to me. Um, you can also throw your questions right in the chat feature. Uh, and so we'll jump into this. Let me, let me pray for us. And then Travis, it's yours, brother. Father, we love you. All right. I thank you for Travis Hebert, and I'm just so grateful for his ministry. I'm grateful for his practice. I'm grateful for his willingness to provide healthy counsel to men and women in the life of the church, in the life of Richardson in North Dallas. God, he has been faithful for years at applying care to people that need care. Um, I pray that we would receive his counsel today, that we would listen and be encouraged as we consider how we can invest in our marriages. We pray this in the name of Christ. Amen. Travis, all yours, brother. Amen. Thank you, Kyle. Um, well, God, it's good to be with y'all. I'm, I'm excited. I've been um, I love marriage and I love uh, thinking about family of origin. Uh, 
and how that and how that kind of goes together. And so as I started thinking about this, uh, I actually started thinking about my own marriage and my own wedding. And I was talking to Marcy about uh, this and, and we got a good laugh because on my wedding day, um, you know, everything was great. It's one of my favorite memories. It was beautiful, friends, family, all this kind of stuff. But but at the end of the at the end of the ceremony, when it was my turn to you know put the ring on Marcy's finger, I um, got ready and went to put the ring, and uh, I dropped the ring on the way to put it on her hand, and it fell down, and I tried to catch it, and I missed, and I tried to catch it again, and literally, guys, I ended up on my hands and knees in front of the entire church, uh, grabbing Marcy's ring. Uh, to put back on her finger. Uh, and we laughed about that. And I thought, man, I got to share that. Um, and, and to be honest with you, that's a little bit closer picture of marriage, you know, and how I've experienced than just the beautiful, pretty stuff that goes, that goes with the ceremony. Um, you know, and one of my favorite scriptures that come to mind around uh, marriage and around wedding is, is they say, what God joins together, let no man separate thing about that I love it because there's so much you know marriage is God's idea it's his design he his sovereignty in bringing you your partner right all this stuff but that part says let no man separate I struggle with sometimes because I go it seems like often uh, marriages can be marked by moments of separation or moments of disconnection and it can seem like it's the most simple thing that can that can disconnect us uh here's what i mean another another quick story me and marcy are at bed bath and beyond doing our wedding registry okay and she reminded me that the kitchen section is the first section in in bed bath and beyond so we get to the kitchen section and we're going around and um, she decides that she wants to register for this particular whisk and uh a little caveat here, I've never used a whisk in my entire life. Uh, so I'm not, I'm not much of a baker or cooker, but I had a really strong opinion this day. I said, Marcia, how, how come that whisk? And she said, well, I like the, not the plastic one. And here's why I'm like, and I said, are you sure you don't just want that whisk? Cause that's the whisk your mom has. And she was kind of taken aback a little bit. And I said, Look, Mars, and in, in all my concern, right? I, I had said something about leaving, leaving and cleaving, and starting our own family, and, and starting our life the way we want to have it, and and not just doing it the way that that her mom did it or her parents did it. And and I was mad, and I was heated, and I and I didn't know why, and and she was too. She left. She ends up in the bathroom. Uh, she comes back and she literally sits down on the floor crying. And, and this is our experience of wedding registry. And I, we can laugh about, I can laugh about it today, but man, in that moment, I was disoriented. I was confused. Um, and don't know why I had such a strong opinion about a whisk. And another thing, I actually called it a wisp until I was corrected and, and uh, now know that it's called a whisk. Um, but I don't think I'm the only one, right, that experiences these moments of disconnection, these moments of separation, and even moments where we feel confused about why we're separated, why, why we're even in the situation that we're in. So I want to suggest today that 
um, our family of origin and some of the issues we have from our family of origin actually have a huge role to play in these moments of disconnection. And there's a lot of other reasons, right? I'm not saying it's only your family of origin. We live in a broken, fallen world, with broken, fallen people. There's a real enemy. There's, there's all kinds of stuff. But, but today, I specifically want to talk about what I believe, uh, the role that I believe family of origin plays in uh, how we experience connection and closeness, how we experience disconnection and separation, and then the process that we go through to try and repair in those moments of disconnection. So what we'll talk about is, what do I mean when I say family of origin? Uh, what do I mean when I say connection and disconnection? A few examples of common patterns of disconnection, and then what I believe to be are a few ways that we can begin to move towards healthy connection uh, in the context of our marriage. Um, so what do I mean when I say family of origin? Family of origin, I, I literally mean your earliest and closest relationships, right? So for a lot of us, that could be mom and dad, uh, some of us raised by grandparents, uh, think primary caregivers. Uh, this is your family of origin. It's the family in which you originated from, um, your, your closest relationships. Um, and, and when I say that there's a role that family of origin plays in, in how you show up in marriage, I know there's probably a handful of people. Uh, well, there's only a handful of us in here, but, you know, there's at least one or two of us that go, man, I don't know. I don't know if that's true. You know, what's done is done. And, you know, I've become a believer. I've, I have friends. You know, I've, I've become kind of this new person. Family of origin doesn't affect me uh, anymore. And I would go, uh, that's not true, unfortunately, right? Uh, in fact, it's not even how God designed, designed the world to work. He, you know, he's a, he's a triune God, uh, a relational God. We are made in his image as relational beings. And in the first six years of our life are really the most influential as far as relational, what we learn about relationships, what we learn about ourselves, what we learn about other people, we learn about the world. This is the time in our life where that foundation is laid. Now, yes, we can grow and we can change and we can do this, but, but the foundation is laid primarily by how we learn to connect with our primary caregivers. So I want you to think about something for a second. Uh, how did your mom, dad, your primary caregivers, how did they respond to you how do they respond to your emotions? And by emotions, think when you were scared, when you were sad, when you were lonely. Um, what, what, was the, what was the response? Well, you know, maybe you can't remember a specific example, but as you think back, you know, a lot of them could be, um, you know, hey, big boys don't cry type of thing. Um, Hey, you know, you, you got to be tough for your mom. Hey, there's nothing to be scared of. Um, or maybe, maybe if there's a time where you felt lonely or picked on, uh, you would have somebody even respond with kind of praising you. Yeah, no, you are so special. You're so good. You know, all, all these are real common ways that we've been engaged by our family of origin um, without actually engaging us on an emotional level. So we kind of learn in those moments, 
that it's not okay to share these emotions or we don't really know how to talk about and be present with our emotions because we either it's not okay we need that's not it's not appropriate here and um and then we just begin to learn different strategies on what to do with these emotions along the way um so there also is a place for your, your primary caregivers responding in a healthy and safe way, right? They, they hear your, hey, hey mom, I'm, I'm scared of the dark, uh, or I'm scared of that shadow, and, and mom lays down beside you and says, you know, the dark can be scary sometimes, and, and shadows can be scary, especially if we don't know where they came from, and it's okay to be scared, but mommy's here, you know, you're, you're safe, look, yeah, I'm gonna touch the shadow, see, right? this is a way that parents really can engage their children in a way that takes their emotions seriously and is close to them. And, and they begin to learn, Oh, it's okay to have feelings. It's okay to share. And if I share, I'll be responded to by someone in a healthy way. And that's where we get a real secure uh, connection. And that's where we learn that, Oh, it's okay safe i can share it and, and people that had consistently experienced things like that uh they they have a, a an easier time connecting uh being close and disconnecting in in, in, in marriage um so what i'm going to call but those of us that didn't have that secure attachment i'm going to call it you know an attachment wound that happens there yeah an attachment wound is um kind of this pattern of your primary caregiver not being, I'll, I'll throw out three words, accessible to you, emotionally accessible, responsive in a meaningful way, and engaging to what's actually going on with you. Uh, and that doesn't, here's what that doesn't mean. Uh, well, they were always there for me and we had dinner together and they were at all my games, but all, all those are important things, but but this emotional responsive, you know, available, responsive and engaging. Um, if I could simplify it, it's when you were a kid, you were hugged when you wanted to be hugged and you were not hugged when you didn't want to be hugged, right? Uh, they were able to understand and pick up on what you needed and what you wanted in each moment. When that didn't happen, there's an attachment wound, right? So, um, you know, you can think back, if you've been around babies, right, if they want mom uh, and mom comes close, they can play, they can feel comforted, they can do this. But if they want mom and mom is not there to be found, what does a baby do? Cry, throw their head back. It, it, and it depends on how long this goes, right? You know, and, and this is a real obvious thing with babies. Uh, they'll do whatever they can to get the attachment to get safety, to get emotional closeness. And I'm gonna to venture to say that, that that doesn't actually change in any phase of our life, that we, we are constantly, uh, and again, I think it's how we, how we are wired, it's how we're created uh, to, to need relationship, to be in a relationship and to experience emotional closeness. Uh, the life of Jesus even demonstrates that uh, there, there's an emotional closeness with his father that he needs and desires throughout his whole life. Right. So, so this need doesn't just stop when we're a baby, it continues on, uh, especially up into marriage when, 
uh, it, it begins to shift from our primary caregiver to uh, our spouse as the safe and secure attachment. Um, so in basic terms, family of origin uh, affects everything, right? H how we view money, how we view relationships, how we register for our wedding registry, um, schooling, friendship, planning vacations, how we rest. Um, there's a ton of ways that family of origin impacts us. But for the rest of this talk, I, I'm going to talk specifically about uh, how family of origin shapes how we experience emotional connection and disconnection in the context of our marriage. So connection, uh, how we experience emotional closeness with our spouse uh, and not just emotional close, closeness, but how secure we feel and how, how, yeah, how secure and safe we feel. Disconnection is when that emotional closeness is interrupted or when we don't feel safe or secure. Uh, what I mean by that is it, it doesn't have to be anything outlandish that disconnects it. It can be a whisk, you know, it can be a facial expression. It can be a tone of voice, uh, real or perceived things, uh, can, can pose a threat to us and to our relationship internally. And that's what I mean by disconnection. You can even on the surface appear to be connected and cordial and getting along, but the disconnection is an internal thing where I go, I don't necessarily feel safe, right? And so when that disconnection happens, when I say repair, these are our attempts to reconnect or to feel safe again with our spouse. So how we connect, disconnect, and learn to repair are deeply ingrained in us. They go all the way back to childhood, your family of origin. Like it or not, the things that you learned about connection from your primary caregivers will come out in your relationship. So, so I'm going to kind of give you three things right now of, uh, of how this can look, right? Uh, so it's, and these are three strategies of attempting to connect that we learn from and are shaped by our primary caregivers. But these are unhealthy strategies, I would say. Um, moving towards, moving away, and moving against. Moving towards, moving away, moving against. So moving towards, uh, this, is, this is my tendency. Um, let me give you give Karen Horney a little shout out. She's an, she's a psychologist. Uh, she she really developed these three things and kind of made these famous as kind of our primary ways of relating, connecting, and trying to get needs met. So moving towards think um, of performance appeasing, jumping through hoops, right? Um, if I go, oh hey man, Marks, you look beautiful today. I love that shirt. You like mine too, right? That, that's kind of this moving towards, I'm gonna, I'm gonna compliment you, I'm gonna appease you, I'm gonna be nice to you in hopes that you meet my need, right? That you show up for me, that you feel close to me. Moving away, right? That kind of looks like this. No, 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 I'm fine, I'm fine. No, no, say seriously, okay. 
right? This moving away. But, but how that can manifest is we can isolate, we can check out on social media, uh, video games. You know, if this is a tendency of yours, thinking back to childhood, uh, this is oftentimes where acting out behavior comes from, whether that be eating disorders, porn, uh, isolation, overexercise, overactivity. Uh, we can really kind of move away from people uh, in order to get our needs met or in order to feel safe, which is a really interesting strategy. And then moving against, right? This is a, you know, I'm going to poke the bear, right? I'm going to instigate. In fact, people with this tendency, arguments can actually be soothing, right? Because if I can poke the bear and stir you up, then I know that I can affect you. And then I know that you care about me and I know that I matter to you. So I can breathe deeply, but I do this and I accomplish this by poking the bear, uh, which doesn't actually lead and really none of these strategies lead to the connection that I believe we were designed to experience in the context of our marriage, right? Um, because none of them really get down to um, the attachment wounds or the attachment needs that we're after. And by attachment needs, I mean this need for us to feel safe, to feel important, uh, to feel heard, to be seen, right? Uh, these are needs that we all have, again, that go all the way back to childhood. We can easily see them in babies, but when it comes to adulthood, we go, shouldn't I have grown out of that? No, because we're relational beings. This is how we're created, right? Uh, but all these, all these strategies moving towards, moving away, moving against uh, can soothe the moment, but they don't satisfy our need for that deep emotional closeness. Um, so, uh, so this is kind of an important thing to note. Uh, consider your default way of, of trying to connect in these unhealthy ways. Are you a moving towards, uh, moving against or moving away kind of person? Uh, as I said, I'm a, I'm a moving towards uh, type of person. And how I believe that was developed is um, my family of origin, right? I, I learned, um, and when I say learned, I don't mean anybody set me down and taught me, right? A lot of what I learned is more covert, uh, things that I picked up along the way. Um, but I learned that um, if I wanted to be loved and I wanted somebody to be close to me, then I needed to show them that I'm needed. I needed, I needed to bring something to the table. Um, and what I brought to the table varied depending on the relationship, uh, but it was something moving towards, I can help you. I can offer something. I can do something. I can perform this way. See, don't you want to be close to me? Whereas the wound and the fear comes from, what if I don't bring anything to the table? What if I don't have anything to offer? Will you love me? Could you be close to me? Right. And all that's tied up in my family of origin and things that I experienced around my primary caregiver. Uh, and I would say specifically around, uh, you know, growing up with mom and grandma raising me and dad not being around. There's a big wound there around my relationship with my father. Right. And so I learned um, really instead of how to deal with that wound and deal with that hurt and deal with that loneliness, 
to perform, be great, be awesome, be good at sports, do these things. And that carries over to, you know, my relationship with my wife. And so when we have these attachment kind of needs or longings and these wounds and we're unaware of them and we don't really know what they are and, in, and maybe we don't even know in the moment that this is what's happening, we get stuck in these patterns of disconnection. And I think there, there are two really familiar patterns of disconnection that, that I've experienced in, in me and Marcy's relationship and a lot of the couples that I sit with. Uh, the first pattern of disconnection, I'm going to call pursue and withdrawal. And I literally mean that it's this one, one spouse pursues and the other one with, withdraws. And, and as this one continues to pursue, this one continues to withdraw. Uh, examples of pursuing are uh, I, I may raise my voice. I may start interrogating uh, a real common one. I'm going to make my point over and over and over and over again. And then I'm going to make my point again and I'm going to nag, right? And I'm going to, I'm going to have this whole list of things that you need to do different and that you need to do better and that you need to improve on, right? And the more that I pursue, the more that this comes out, the other person starts to withdraw, shuts down, stays logical, void of emotion, freezes up, uh, zones out, just wants to get out of the conversation, just wants this conversation to end. And the more the zone out and the freeze up happens, the more that really begins to affect that attachment wound. And this person may not know, but they're going, pay attention. Am I important to you? Be close to me. But it comes out as something's wrong with you, right? It's this strategy. It's this place that we get stuck over and over again with the intention to connect, but it doesn't work. Pursue, withdrawal, pursue, withdrawal. Uh, another form of this is attack and defend, right? And this doesn't have to be crazy, right? It can just be this subtle criticism, right? If, you're, if you have a tendency towards attack, uh, but what's important here with attack and defend, somebody's gotta be wrong, somebody's gotta be right. Somebody's the good guy, somebody's the bad guy. And unfortunately in a relationship, and you've probably learned this, even if you win, even if you're right, you still lose, right? Especially if the, if the goal and the desire is emotional connection, security, closeness, right? Because if you win, you've pushed this person away. If you lose, you can kind of isolate and run into self-pity and a disastrous cycle that we all can get stuck in in these moments of disconnection, right? Uh, attacking if and criticize, you're the problem, blow up. If I defend, I'm going to minimize the other person's concern. I'm going to build a case. I may even start naming all the things I've done, right? Well, I've done this, I've done this, I've done this. Uh, there's a guy that, that I work with and uh, he has a tendency to, to start well, I went grocery shopping, I put the kids down, I've done this, I've done this, I've done this. I think a lot of women would love to be married to me uh, for all these things. Uh, you, you can't be pleased, right? And, and it's this, uh, this the defend, attack, defend, attack, and, and we both lose in those moments. And these, again, remember, these are driven by 
what I'm calling attachment needs and attachment wounds that go all the way back to family of origin. Uh, I don't feel important to you. I don't feel seen by you. I don't feel loved by you. Uh, and, and I don't know that that's what's driving it. I'm not thinking subconsciously that's it. Uh, I just respond and react in this familiar pattern of, of disconnection. Um, Yeah, so, so when we're not able to identify these needs or wounds that originate from our family of origin, then it's likely that we'll get stuck in these patterns of disconnection. And, and I think it's important to remember that these are patterns of disconnection that we get stuck in. It's not ways that we operate always in our marriage, right? So if you're sitting there going, gosh, man, that, that is not us. Remember, I'm not talking about when things are good, when y'all are enjoying each other, when you feel close. I'm really talking about these moments when there is separation and disconnection and, and sometimes we're left scratching our head going, how did we get here? Right. This is the pattern that we get stuck in, in those moments. Um, so I'm going to revisit the, the bed, bath and beyond story with the whisk, right? Uh, it wasn't about the whisk. It wasn't about Marcy leaving at Cleveland. It wasn't about me teaching a lesson. It was really, I believe, the more unresolved family of origin issues in me internally. And what I mean by that is there was a fear that I, that I didn't have words for then that Marcy would be able to build a life and that she would stay so close and connected to her family that I would be left out, that I wouldn't be important to her, that I wouldn't, that she wouldn't need me, right? And so I was trying to in a kind of out of character way, trying to go, I need you. Cause usually I would kind of be nice. I would do this. I would, I would prove this, but, but in this particular situation, I, I just kind of started poking the bear. I did all these things. And what I was asking for, what I was longing for is, Hey, please reassure me that I'm important to you. Please reassure me that, that I matter to me. Please reassure me that, Hey, that you're in this for the long haul and that you're not gonna, that you're not gonna leave and that, that I'll be as important or more important than your family of origin. Uh, I didn't have the words for that in that moment. I didn't have the awareness of that in the moment, but, but that's an example of how my family of origin and wounds from early on, boom, show up and affect how I, how I engage with Marcy. So how do we connect in a healthy way, right? What, what do we do? How do we experience emotional closeness in our marriages? Um, I want to give just a few things that I think are incredibly important uh, in our journey towards learning how to uh, connect, disconnect, and repair, because I think that's the story of all of our marriages. We'll have moments of connection, moments of disconnection, moments of repair. It is impossible to build a marriage, to construct a marriage that is, that that can't be disconnected or interrupted. Uh, it's impossible. So the goal is not to never disconnect. The goal is to learn what are the things that disconnect us and how do we together work towards reconnecting, right? So, so here's the three things. First thing, become an expert in how your family of origin shaped you and your spouse, right? And, and this can look a number of different ways. Um, there's, a, there's a podcast that I'd love for you to jot down. It's called The Place We Find Ourselves uh, by Adam Young. 
and he does an incredible job of blending family of origin uh, and how we experience closeness with our family of origin and even how that shapes how we experience closeness with God and closeness with our spouse. It's great. Uh, I, can't, I can't recommend that podcast more. Uh, but become an expert on how your family of origin has shaped you uh, and your spouse, specifically the attachment wounds, right? My wife knows that um, there are times, whether she intends to or not, right? As, as BJ said last night, there's a difference between intention and impact. And she doesn't intend to hurt me or stir up family wounds, but the impact of something she does, does. And, and she's learning and I'm learning how, how this plays out with each other, right? Um, I know for her, she has a tendency to uh, want to uh, be perfect, to nail it, to be good. And if there's something that kind of suggests that she's not good enough or that she didn't do it right, this can start to stir up her attachment wounds and it can lead us towards this pattern of disconnection. For me, it's, am I important to you? Do I matter? Do you love, right? So if, if, you know, if I get the sense that I don't bring something to the table and that she may not need me, this can stir up my attachment wounds and this can, we're quickly in this pattern of disconnection where uh, I actually begin to pursue her and she kind of withdraws. It's kind of our tendency, right? When, when we're in an unhealthy place, I'll, I want to ask questions and pull and come, 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 come. And she, she kind of starts to shrink back, right? Uh, so become an expert in how family of origin shapes you and shapes your spouse. Number two, learn how to identify and communicate your emotions in the moment and allow your spouse to do the same without trying to fix, blame, or correct, right? This is what, this is a, a foundation for emotional closeness. We, uh, this is how we, we let our spouse know that, hey, we're, we're here, we're accessible, we're gonna respond, and we're, and we're gonna engage them right? Uh, and it doesn't include fixing. It doesn't include changing. And it, it includes being present and creating space and allowing space for her and him to have their emotions, whatever those may be. So, so learn how to identify and communicate emotions in the moment and allow space for your partner to do the same. That's tricky. That's hard. There's a lot that can get in the way of that. Um, you know, and, and, and so there's a book here that I might recommend. It's called Created for Connection by Kenny Sandifer. Um, it's, it's an excellent book on that really kind of breaks down some of these cycles of disconnection and how do we begin to identify the cycle, uh, which is the third one. Learn how to identify the pattern of disconnection and what gets you there. Right. Uh, and here's what I mean by that. The, the pattern of disconnection, the pursue, withdrawal, the attack, defend. Where are you? Where do you fall in that in that pattern of disconnection? Uh, and the other part is is um, what gets me there? For me, nothing nothing gets me there quicker than a tone of voice and a facial expression. So Marcy can go, you know, hey, good morning, and, and can be in the best mood. But if I see I'm this, if I'm sensitive to her facial expressions, I can go, dang, what's wrong with you? You you all right? Yeah, I'm fine. I just say good morning. 
and boom, if I'm not careful, and so, so I have to learn, oh, it's, it's this facial expression, this tone of voice, and that's really kind of what gets me uh, going towards this path of disconnection quickly, and if I can't identify that soon, gosh, we can escalate, we can escalate quickly. So back to the three, become an expert in how family of origin shapes you and your spouse, learn how to identify and communicate your emotions in the moment, and then learn how to identify the pattern of disconnection and your role in it and how you get there. So in this process, guys, be gracious with yourself and your spouse. Remember, you've learned this and have been practicing these ways for many, many years, right? I'm, I'm not demonizing family of origin. Uh, I want to make that clear. Uh, your family of origin has good things to bring to the table. This is just a talk on uh, the way that it impacts your connection, disconnection in a negative way. Um, but however you learned to connect and repair and experience disconnection, you can continue to learn how to do things different. Uh, and, and the good news for us is we have incredible resources uh, like the Holy Spirit, uh, you know, which is, which is good. We have uh, a church community that values marriage. We have, um, we have a lot. So um, let me pray and then we'll, we'll do some question and answers. Father, uh, thank you for uh, your idea of marriage. Thank you for uh, the gift that our spouses are. Um, and we just invite you to help us uh, to love better, to love our spouses better, to love people better. Um, yeah, we just need you. So thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hey, Travis, thank you, brother. Um, I am really grateful. Uh, I've got to hear Travis talk about this a couple of times. Um, Travis is a teacher in our Emotionally Healthy Spirituality class, which we had last spring. Well, I guess not this spring 2020, spring of 2019. Not much was going on in spring of 2020. Um, and we'll have the class again. And so, Travis, I'm always grateful to hear your insight on this. I've got two questions for you, one that came from me, one that came from somebody on the session. Um, if you're looking for the Zoom link for the 10 a.m. session with Bo, I've included it in here. It'll start promptly at 10 a.m. But uh, stick with us for, this, for these next two. I'll get you out of here at 9.50 so we can make our way over there. Um, it is weird to do a digital conference. I got to tell you, it is a lot of like, <laughs> I'll see you in another Zoom session. Um, it's like we're not walking anywhere. Okay, here's a couple of questions. The first one came in. When you find yourself in a pattern of disconnect, what are some practical ways to move away from that in the moment? So, okay, so you're, you have enough insight. You're, you're catching, oh boy, we are in a moment of emotional disconnection right now. What are some practical ways, like what are some practical things to do when you realize I am there right now? Yes, the best thing that I found for me in those moments is actually to begin to name the very thing that you just named, right? It is, it is going, okay, Mars, hold on, I'm, I'm feeling this, uh, well, so, so I guess this, this is kind of, we have to identify what it's like for us when we start to feel that disconnection. So, so if, so if you don't know, right, that, that's the tricky part for most of us is, is we find ourselves there, uh, and we don't know we're there, but if you have the inside and you go, okay, here I am, I'm in this place, I would say, begin to name what's happening. Uh, an example of that would be, 
hey, Marcy, uh, when you asked me to take out the trash because I forgot, here's what, here's what happened. I, I started to get a little anxious and I started to say, Hey, I, I think, did you just tell me I was a no good husband that doesn't do my part around the house? Or are we actually just asking me to take out the trash? And she'll go, hopefully she'll go, no, no, I was just asking you to take out the trash. Right. Uh, so the, so the best thing for, I believe in those moments is just to begin to talk directly about what's happening and how y'all got there. Yeah, I, I mean, this question wasn't to me, but I'll just want to co-sign this. Um, sometimes Lauren or I, we have this thing where we talk about pulling the ripcord in a conversation, which is when we feel like we're, what we're talking about or we're arguing about or we're disagreeing about is actually not what, like what we're saying is not what we're feeling that there's something beneath it. And we'll just say something like, hold on, this is what I feel like we're talking about right now. What do you feel like we're talking about right now? And that allows us to identify, are we talking about the same thing? And many of the things that feel like, cause sometimes you'll get in these conversations where you feel like, man, this engine is really running, but it seems disproportionate to the thing that we're talking about. We were talking about where we wanna eat tonight and now we're upset with one another. How did we get upset with each other about that? You're like, well, we weren't really talking about that. We were talking about certainty and uncertainty. We were talking about decision-making and anxiety. We were talking about exhaustion. And so I think what you're saying, Travis, is just kind of like, I, we just need to name it. I think that's crucial. Um, all right, another question that came in from somebody on the session. Have we just always gotten this wrong until now? It seems like there's a cultural problem with denying feelings and we're slowly changing this now. So. I can understand the background of this question. Generationally, it feels a little bit like maybe our parents or our grandparents were a little more reluctant to talk about the emotional life or the interior life, but now there's maybe more comfort around talking about it. Is that something that's happening? Um, or was that like, was that how they were raised? I mean, what's kind of the passing of the baton now where it feels more comfortable to talk about these things or more acceptable? Yeah. That's a great question. Uh, I have I have some theories on it, uh, but you know, here, here are some of my thoughts on it. Is that um, a lot of it is generational, right? If you think about uh, World War II, right, that a lot of these people go off and they fight and they and they have these experiences and they come back and 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 this was a culture of war uh, where women just kind of had to figure things out and the husband goes off and does this and he comes back and, and maybe he's affected by the war in a way that makes him not emotionally available to her and the kids. And, and, and so you have this generation of people that aren't really, don't, don't really value emotional connection. What they value is survival and taking care of whatever you got to take care of costs. Um, and, and uh, I think there has been a movement towards, uh, okay, no, there is a value in emotions. And I think some of that also is, is driven by some of the movements in like neuroscience and the importance of like how emotional connection actually rewires your brain and is the process of, of how you heal from trauma and how you heal from woundedness. And, and so a lot of people are going, hey, not only is this not a luxury, this is a necessity for us to be you know, wholehearted, healthy people. Um, and so, so yeah, I think it's a generational cultural thing and yeah, we're not even a cultural thing. 
you know, that, who knows where, where your family's from and, uh, and the value that different cultures put on emotions. Uh, so I think there's so many things that um, influence that. And I go, I don't know if we got it wrong, uh, but I for sure think a lot of families that I talked to, uh, we missed it. Uh, uh, but I also think in another generation that they'll go, Hey, we, we nailed some things, but we totally missed it. Right. I think that's, that's just, I don't want to demonize that culture is what I'm saying. Sure. Um, well, Hey Travis, thank you for your time. Hey, if you jumped on this session, thank you for jumping on, um, pray for Travis. He's got another one at 11 talking to single men about Christ-like confidence. And, um, we're about to jump into a session with Bo Hughes that starts at 10 AM. And so when I end this one, um, uh, that one will, will, will go live here in a few minutes. You can jump into the waiting room for that. Um, and that's on practically pursuing the presence of God. And there's really nobody else I'd rather hear from on that than Bo Hughes, um, who has been a, a mentor to me in that regard. So anyways, bless you guys. Thanks for jumping on the call. I'm going to end this. It feels abrupt. When